A couple of years ago, uh, one evening, I was, I was doing a wake service uh, here in the parish. And uh, I just finished up. I was leaving, actually, and uh, on my way out, the uh, funeral director grabs me and he says, uh, can you do me a favor? Uh, there was another wake going on in the funeral home as well. And they, um, anyway, the family, I guess they saw a priest. They saw me there. Um, they made no arrangements with a church. There wasn't going to be a funeral or anything. So uh, somebody from the family asked maybe if uh, I could come in and also say prayers there. So, uh, so I did. Uh, but before I did, I said, um, let me just, can you bring in some of the family to, so I can meet with them for a, two or three minutes to get a, just a sense of who it was that died. So um, the, uh, the mother and the brother of the deceased came in and uh, the guy who died was uh, fairly young. I think he was in his 40s. And um, they never actually explicitly told me how he died, but um, I could tell it was, it was definitely alcohol-related. Um, he didn't, I mean, I don't think he committed suicide, but I think he probably kind of drank himself to death. Um, the son did really most of the talking, and uh, he kind of just referenced his demons. He kind of went back to, kept talking about the demons that he kind of, his brother struggled with. The brother, the one who had died, he, he had a family himself, uh, and that didn't seem very good at all. Um, I think he was separated from his wife and estranged from, I think, most of his kids. Um, so just a, a, tough, a tough scene. Um, and then the guy, the brother, started to talk about their father. And he just sounded like a, a wild, abusive drunk. Um, who just kind of leveled, emotionally like leveled his family. Uh, the brother talked about a couple of his other siblings and they sounded like they had issues as well. Um, just a lot of kind of collateral damage from the impact of this alcoholic and you know pretty abusive father and husband. I remember being just uncomfortable uh, with the mother, I mean, uh, yeah, with his mother, the wife being there, just, um, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't disrespecting her, but he was just, his honesty was very painful. It was kind of uncomfortable to hear with her in the, in the room. Um, and then eventually she spoke, uh, and it wasn't a lot, but I really remember it. Uh, after he kind of described the whole sad saga, she then said, um, talking about her marriage, the father of the deceased, and she said, uh, I just stayed too long. And I was kind of struck by that, and she just said, I, I should have put him out. And I thought about it countless times, but I never quite did. Um, always was hoping that there would be some sort of a breakthrough, and uh, there never was. Like it, it never really got better. It just got steadily worse. Well, eventually he left, she said. He left the family, and then I think shortly after that he died. 
And I remember just feeling so bad for this grieving mother, the wife of this alcoholic husband. Um, She just seemed so kind of conflicted about it all. Like this idea that, you know, she, that leaving him would have been wrong and it would have been quitting and it would have been a failure and a sin. I'll tell you, this guy just sounded like a, you hear these stories periodically in the news, like when the, in the Midwest when there's like a, a terrible violent tornado and it like just destroys like a, a little town. Everything is sort of upended. Like you can't just, it just blew through this, wrecked everything. It's almost like what, it's like what this guy sounded like. Except it wasn't buildings that were wrecked, it was, it was people. Um, she just seemed kind of tormented, this mom. Guilt of kind of having stayed. And sometimes you, should, you shouldn't stay. Sometimes quitting is right. It sounds weird to hear that, doesn't it? It certainly sounds uncomfortable to saying it. Like, quitting? Like, quitting is never, we always, we don't like quitting. We tell people not to quit. If somebody's a quitter, like, that's, that's certainly no, that's not a compliment, right? We see quitting as just not a good thing. Well, maybe sometimes it's a necessary thing and it's a right thing. Sometimes quitting, I think, is rescue. Had she quit on that marriage, maybe, maybe she could have rescued her kids. Maybe she wouldn't have been sitting in a funeral home. Think of this first reading tonight from Elijah, or this prophet Elijah. He wants to quit. He's done. He just can't go on. And he's like, I'm, I'm just no more. I can't do this. He's being pursued, this prophet, by a corrupt, evil leader, this queen. Her name was Jezebel. And she's awful. She hates him because of what he says. He's a prophet. And he's a really good prophet. Great prophets rock the boat because they say things that none of us want to hear. And I guess when you're the queen and you got a lot of power, you could try to silence the prophet. So she goes after him. She's in pursuit of him. She wants him dead. She doesn't want to hear the truth that he's communicating. So she's stalking him. And he's done. He's spent. He's exhausted. And he's starving. And then he says, this is what we got tonight in the reading. He says, this is, he says, this is enough, Lord. Take my life. And then it says this. He prayed for death. I think that's a really important short sentence. I think it's key. He prayed for death. That's the most important thing in that whole passage. He prayed What he was praying for was a a heartbreaking thing, a terrible thing. You want to die? Like, how bad off could you be? But he was pretty bad off. But you know what he did that was so right and so necessary? He brought his despair 
He brought his darkness. He brought his hopelessness to God. Like, it's a prayer. It's a pretty dark prayer. Like, he's like, I just want to be done. I just want to quit. I want to be dead. But he doesn't just go and do it on his own. Like, he invites God in. He doesn't act on his despair. Actually, he acts on his faith. And that is critically important. Because God delivers. When we include God in the mix, especially when the mix is really dark and awful and seemingly hopeless, and we pull God in, God delivers. Problems don't necessarily immediately go away, but somehow we are built up and we're given the hope that we previously lacked when we ask God in. You know what I think this comes down to is when you separate faith from darkness, like when you're in a dark place, when you're overwhelmed, when you're depressed, when you are despairing, when you're heartbroken, when you feel betrayed. I mean, throw in whatever ugly emotion you want. Whenever we're feeling those things, if you separate those things from faith, and that's, that's not a good thing. That's when terrible things happen, happen. Heartbreaking, tragic things happen when we take God out of the mix. Hey, the, you know, the reality of life is sometimes we are in a dark place and we are down and discouraged and maybe despairing. I hope not, and I hope certainly not a lot, but come on, we have our moments. But what's worse than, those mo- worse than that is having those moments minus God. And I think that's what Elijah does that is so important. Think of people we probably all sadly, tragically know who gave in to despair because they felt like they were fundamentally, objectively alone. Somehow along the way, they forgot that, like, no, I'm, I'm in a bad way, but I'm not alone. Like, God is always here. I guess often that's forgotten. Well, the end of the Elijah story becomes hope-filled because God does deliver, and he's regained strength, and he gets it together, and he goes back out, and he continues his work. He doesn't die. He doesn't act on the despair. He brought his desire to quit to God, and so should we. So must we. And I was reading about, I haven't really watched much at all of the Olympics, but I was reading about this um, gymnast, Simone Biles, who uh, she kind of quit. She withdrew from the games. Like she's the, like the greatest gymnast on the planet, I think, pretty much considered. And at the Olympics, she said, I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to do it. The reaction I thought was really interesting. You had these extremes really on both sides. People who trashed her because they just said, you know, she's, she's let everyone down and she's betrayed her country. She's selfish and she's a coward. 
She's not a patriot. Like terrible and far worse than that was said about her. And on the other end, you had her sort of like elevated to this level of like, like beyond hero status. I was like, I don't know. Is she heroic? They said she was courageous and selfless. And yeah, I think stepping away from that opportunity when you've committed a chunk of your life to it, that's a big deal. So I'm not making little of it, but I mean, I don't know. It, one, one, one writer compared her to Rosa Parks. I'm like, come on, Rosa Parks? She stepped away from the Olympics. I mean, she don't, don't, she's not Rosa Parks. How about this? How about she's neither Rosa Parks nor a traitor? She's not really a hero, and she's certainly not a villain. She's somebody who had to make a, a decision about her life. How about we stop, or at least our culture stops, living in these extremes? You're the hero or the villain. You're the good guy or the bad guy, and there's no in-between. You know, she's Catholic, Simone. She's actually pretty public about it. And I read, she wrote in one point, she talked about when she made her confirmation as a kid. Listen to this. She said, I marched into St. James Church, which was her parish, that Sunday in a line of teenagers with solemn faces. In a way, our procession reminded me of a medal ceremony, except that no gold, silver, or bronze would be given out. Instead, our prize would be something much more powerful. In a few moments, each of us would receive the power of God's Spirit. She said the other day, you know, in response to the, sort of the attacks and the, the criticism, she said, uh, you know, to those that I've let down and to those that I've disappointed, I'm sorry, but I'm more than my medals. I'm more than an athlete. I'm a human being. Sometimes quitting is okay. In her case, she ultimately kind of didn't quit because she got back into the, she won a medal. You know, when I was in college, and I may have mentioned this before, I remember uh, my junior year of college and I spent my first two years at Nassau and then I transferred up to uh, Cornell upstate. And I uh, had just gotten there and I had a couple of days of orientation before school started, and it was, I was loving it. And I was excited to be away, you know. My first two years, I was at home, all my friends were away, loving college, so I was excited now to be away. And uh, like I said, maybe three, three or four days of orientation, just parties and fun stuff, no classes yet. And most importantly, I made, I lucked out, I made a, a couple of friends, like immediately. First day, I met a couple of just really good kids. Anyway, so I'm really having a great time, not even thinking about home. And I think maybe day four, uh, this was the plan. We all had stuff to do during the day, but that evening, uh, we were going to meet up. We were going to go to a dinner at this diner in town, and then we were going to go to a frat party. So I get to the diner, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and nobody's there. It's like there was about six of us total, so I'm waiting for these five to show up. 
And I'm like waiting, it's getting later and later, like way past the time we were supposed to be there. And they never showed up. Then I started to think like in my insecurity, like I I hope they didn't make other plans and not include me. So I waited a bit and I said, I'm gonna get out of here. And I went back, went back to my dorm. And uh, I said, all right, I'll, I'll hang out for a bit and I'll go to the, I'll go to the fraternity. I'll meet him there. So I, I go and I'm hanging out and they're not there. Well, that was worse than the diner. Now I'm standing there alone at a party, not knowing anybody. I felt like the biggest loser in the world. So I'm like desperately like, I, I'm not waiting here long. I waited a little bit. They never showed, so I left. So now I was really down. Like, what's going on? For the first time, I started thinking about home and kind of getting homesick. Go back to my dorm, and uh, my parents call. So I'm talking to them a bit. I don't tell them any of this. They're just asking me how things were going, and I'm kind of answering the questions. You know, this was pre-cell phone, so one landline, like my father was up in the bedroom, and my mother was down in the kitchen. You know, the two phones were all, three of us are talking. And then we're getting, we're getting ready to hang up. My mom gets off and my dad stays on the, on the line. And then he goes, uh, what's going on? And I'm like, what do you mean what's going on? And he says, what's wrong? And I said, nothing's wrong. And he says, yes, I, something's wrong. I can tell. I can tell the way, the way you're talking. So I told him. I told him what I just told you. And, you know, he said something to the effect of, it's going to be all right. You know, worst case is they did blow you off. And then if that's the case, they weren't worth the friendship anyway, and you'll find new ones. And, you know, I kind of knew that, but I didn't want to hear that. That wasn't really helping. We were talking a little bit, and this was right before Labor Day weekend. It was probably like Wednesday of thir- or Thursday before the three-day weekend. And we didn't have cl- class started on Tuesday. So I say to my father, you know, I'm thinking maybe I'll come home for the weekend. And I had no intention of coming back that early. Like when I left them four days before, it was like I'll, I'll see you at Thanksgiving or maybe October. There's no way I was coming home, come back within a week. So I say, yeah, I'm thinking maybe I'll come home. And then there's this pause on the, on the phone. And then he, got, he goes, uh, no, 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 you can't come home. <laughs> I was like... What? What do you mean I can't come home? I couldn't believe he said no. Like I wasn't, I wasn't even asking for permission. I was sort of like, I'm going to come home. And he's like, no, Brian, you got to stay. I'm like, why do I have to stay? He said, because if you come home, you're not going to want to go back. Like, stay. You're going to be okay. Worst case scenario isn't the end of the world. And it may not even be that scenario. So you just got to stay and you got to stick it out. Man, I was, so in, I was so not what I wanted to hear. I felt so not supported by my father. Man, it must have been tough for him when he hung up the phone because I'm sure he felt terrible. But he was right. The next day, I get up. I'm walking across over to the dining hall and I see two of the uh, five of my friends and they see me first, and they're like, hey, where were you? And I'm like, where was I? I'm like, where were you? And they were like, we were there. Where were you? I said, I was there. You weren't there. I went to the wrong diner. And then I went to the wrong frat house. 
I never felt so happy to be wrong in my life. Because I knew at that moment, like, they didn't ditch me. So it worked out. But I wanted to quit. I think sometimes quitting is okay. Sometimes it's rescue. And sometimes it's quitting. And we shouldn't bail. I remember just being irritated at my father. You know why? Because he was being a prophet. He was telling me something that I didn't want to hear. So he became the bad guy. It's a little bit like the, the wicked queen who's going after Elijah. He spoke truth to power, and the power didn't like hearing it. My father, I wasn't power, but my father spoke truth to his kid, and I didn't want to hear it. But I'm so glad that he was strong enough to like do the right thing, because who knows? Maybe I wouldn't have gone back. And man, that would have been a regret, because I would have quit. You know, I was reading an article about with this gymnast and, and the whole quitting thing. And it was interesting. It was written by this psychologist. And she's talking about quitting. And she talked about her story. She was a lawyer, went to law school, practiced law, but she said she never liked it. Like she knew before she even started practicing law that it really wasn't what she should be doing. But she had gone that far with it and she wasn't gonna turn back well, eventually, after a couple of years of practicing law, she did. She decided to step away. She quit. She went back to school, became a psychologist, and then started her own business. Listen to what she says here. I started my business from scratch with just an idea I believed in, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done professionally. I can't count how many times I wanted to quit but the right choice has consistently been to move forward. I wouldn't have the life or business I now have without the courage to both know when to quit and when to persevere. At the end of the day, if your choice, it's your choice, and you have to be comfortable living with whatever decision you make. You know, I think one of the hardest parts of life is deciding whether to walk away from something or just try harder. Sometimes that decision is agonizing. She said at the end of the day, it's your choice and you have to be comfortable living with whatever decision you make. I think she's right. But I'd add one more piece to what she said. At the end of the day, just make sure that decision is wrapped in faith and prayer. And then it'll be the right decision because God delivers.